In this week's episode, Deacon sits down with Bear Wozniak, a Benedictine oblate, husband, father, world champion surfer, biker, martial arts black belt, skydiver, pilot, author, and media personality. Bear talks about the pivotal role his Catholic faith has played in his life and how he radically abandons himself the will of God every day. He discusses how he is trying to challenge, equip, and mobilize other men to do the same through his deep adventure ministries. So once you say to Jesus, yes, and you, and you call him not just Savior, but you call him Lord, then he begins to work in your life. You've given him the permission. He begins to work in your life in, in, the, in the deepest way possible and sometimes in the most challenging way possible and certainly in the most rewarding way possible. This is Living the Call. Bear Wozniak, welcome to the show. Aloha, Deacon Charlie. So stoked to be here with you. It, you know, you're completing my round, of my tour around the United States. I kind of looked at the guest list over the course of the last couple of years. I think I've hit like 40 plus states in terms of guests, <laughs> but not one in Hawaii. So uh, welcome to that groundbreaking moment, my friend. Well, I know I know you surf too, and we have, uh, we have had epic surf here in Hawaii this summer. The best surf, the best summer of surf that I can remember we had. 20 foot swells out here. And yesterday we had epic surf, not, not that big, but the whole time I've been rehabbing, I hoolied my canoe. I flipped my outrigger canoe about, oh, uh, six months ago. And I've been trying to rehab and rehab. And finally they said, you know what? We're just going to stitch that muscle back to your bones. So I'm, I'm rehabbing. I'm watching all this great surf and I'm just so frustrated. And you can't get yesterday, up finally, finally, finally yesterday, they let me go in the water and swim. And so probably within three more weeks, my wife and I'll be tandem surfing again. When'd you first get into the water? I just remember uh, as a kid, I was born in North Dakota. I'm kind of like Father Mitch Pacwa. He said I was born in Chicago, but I got to Texas just as fast as I could. <laughs> I just remember I was probably in sixth grade and my dad came and sat down in my my little upstairs bedroom that I had up there. I had a couple model airplanes hanging above my head that I'd made. And he said, we're moving to California, to Santa Cruz, California, and you're going to surf. Mm. He doesn't remember that, but I do. And I just remember going to the the shoreline, uh, the cliffs there at, at uh, Steamers, yeah. Steamer Lane and looking down and seeing the surfers. And I just was just smitten with the ocean. When, I remember I, when I first got to California, I told my cousins, I want to go to the ocean. They go, well, okay. But they lived in the Bay Area. We went to this sludgy, you know, part of Oakland Bay. And that was my first experience. But then, but then later on, I did have that opportunity to, um, to, uh, just start body surfing like Professor Kraft, you know, yeah. and uh, fell in love with the ocean. And that, it's always been my, always been my love all these years. What's I, that, what's that one, what's that one Kraft book that he wrote? Is it, is it, if Einstein was a surfer or something like that? He, he wrote a surfer related well, he book, He wrote right? three books about surfing, yeah. three books of his hundred books. And I've, and of course my book, uh, A Surfer's Guide to the Soul is all about uh, that allegory of surfing and, uh, and life, yeah, uh, and kind of a little bit of a memoir where I go through um, kind of like the Carmelite vision for spirituality. But I learned it, you know, from the ocean. I learned it on the ocean. I just remember when I was uh, about thirteen years old, I was down at Sea Cliff Beach, down by but in Monterey Bay, and there was an old cement ship there for people who know that area. And I had built. I used to build sandcastles, try to make them real strong, and see if they would survive until the next day. Nice after the surf. And, uh, and I was, and I, and I was sitting out having, having built that and I was looking out to sea and I was thinking, you know, these waves that are breaking here, they're going to, they've been breaking here for a lot longer than I've been alive and yeah. they'll be, I'll be gone just like that sandcastle. They're still going to be breaking. And then I love sailing too. And I saw a sloop, uh, 
sailing over the horizon. And I just thought like, like it was going on into eternity. And I just had a sense of the breadth and the depth of the ocean. And it just thought of how God is greater than that. God created that. And I really felt small, but, um, and, and also a sense of total awe and wonder because I knew from my, my, the nuns who taught me catechism on Tuesday afternoons that God created me and that I was his greatest, uh, creation was, uh, you know, humans and that he made all of this, uh, the one God who made all of this created me and loved me. And so I had this sense from that moment about maybe I was about 12 years old. I don't know, but from that moment, I was seeking for the Holy Grail. I was I was hungry to to go deeper with God. That's awesome. Never and it's never ended since then. Yeah, the, the the ocean is such a great kind of metaphor for a lot of things. I was talking to somebody recently, and they were telling me about a dream that they'd had. And this is this is a young person who's going through a tremendous amount of crises and conflicts and family issues and whatever. Um, and it's somebody that you know I'm giving some spiritual direction and guidance to. And they were telling me about this dream that they had, where they started off on a lifeboat with a bunch of other people, but one by one, the people kind of left the boat and then eventually the boat fell apart and he found himself at the center of the ocean, just floating there in the midst of nothing and how terrified he felt, you know, about that idea. And he has this kind of strange fear of, of the water to begin with. And we started kind of breaking down that, that dream. And at the end of it, what we came to, and, and really it was more him than me, but what we came to was this idea of the ocean as a, as a kind of strange metaphor to God in and of itself, right? In some ways, the shedding of all these things that are externalities that make us feel like we're more vulnerable, more alone, more whatever, right? The people leaving the lifeboat and then suddenly you're there by yourself. That's all true. But at the same time, that while the ocean could be, you know, scary and its vastness and enormity and everything, that in a way the ocean was also God, meaning after everything is stripped away and gone and you find yourself just floating there alone, you also recognize that God, the ocean, has been there the entire time kind of giving you this, this buoyancy and this experience. And, and it, was, it was a really good conversation, but there's just something really interesting about what the ocean does. And you can kind of tap into that, I find, when you get up on a board, when you go sailing, when you have those moments mm. to really appreciate how God's telling his story across nature. Or just people just going down to the beach. I mean, we, people just love to watch the sunsets. And, you know, here in Waikiki, if you go out three miles, the ocean goes down two miles. Mm. So we're the most isolated place in the world. So it gives you the sense, like from my little REAs here in Waikiki, looking out the ocean, I just showed, it, showed you the video. Of yeah. it. You get a sense of the breadth and the depth and it's just such a great allegory for the Catholic Church. Mm. You know, I remember, I, I, you know, I, I had a powerful conversion experience to the Lord through the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. But then in time, I just really hadn't been catechized. And so I, 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 the people that I knew the best that were Christians were who wanted to grow deeper were, were uh, non-denominational Christians. So I, I went that route for quite a long, for maybe 14 or 15 years. And then finally, my father, who's a Catholic deacon, he had the same charismatic experience I did about mm. three days after I did. He sent me uh, Stephen Ray's book, Crossing the Tiber. And I found the early church fathers, right? You see all the, oh, books, yeah. the writings of the early church fathers behind me. And uh, I just felt like at some point that honestly, I felt like here I am a Christian. I, I know the Lord. I, I'm a evan I just evangelize everybody. But I felt like I was swimming in the shallow end of the pool, to be, mm. to be honest. But finding the Catholic faith, uh, look at those books behind me, man. Oh, yeah. No. All the writings of the early church fathers and their commentaries and uh, the breadth and depth of Catholic teaching. I mean, you can't, I, in a lifetime, you cannot you can. consume all of the 
the great writings. And, and, and you know what? It's truth. Uh, you know, people say, well, you believe in the catechism because you're a Catholic. And I go, well, I believe in the catechism because it makes sense. You know, it's, it's, it's faith seeking understanding. And when you grasp one concept, other concepts build on it. So I'm just so grateful that I returned to, I really returned in full power to the church about 14 years ago. But were you born, just, were you born a Catholic? Yeah. In fact, I'll tell you what. Yeah. Last summer, I got to take a little drive because I was going to go speak at the Boise radio stations, uh, 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 you know, fundraising rally. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, and I went through, uh, we flew into North Dakota and I, and I drove over to that little church where I was baptized and they invited me to come and talk a little bit after mass. And then I, we went and had a barbecue, but someone drug out the uh, baptismal font. It's a portable little font that they bring out that I was baptized in. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, my, my mom and dad, my mom baptized me. She was a convert. My dad was Ukrainian Catholic, by the way. She was a convert from being a Lutheran. Uh, this was before she even met my father. She had such a great experience of God's presence in the Eucharist when she would go inside the little Catholic church in her little town in South Dakota. But yeah, I was so fortunate to be raised in the faith. Um, but I just, the Catholic catechism, the new catechism hadn't come out yet. Yeah. That came out in 83. There was no one that, yeah, there was no one there to steer me towards, uh, towards the deeper stuff of the church. And I just, you know, the Baltimore catechism is, you know, why did God make, why did God made you make you to know, love and serve God in this world? I mean, I knew my Baltimore catechism, but sure. Wow. Wow. The depth of Catholic teaching, the understanding of philosophy and theology and spirituality and church doctrine, all of that. Yeah. It's crazy. It's I mean, just there, so there, there's such a depth. I, I always, you know, you hear in scripture, right? The pearl of great price. And there's a lot of ways that you can kind of, you know, translate that in, in a variety of different ways. But one of the ways, at least one of the ways, is to think about it as that that sacrament of salvation, right? Which is what the Second Vatican Council calls the church. Um, and it is deep and rich and sort of endless, but at the same time also eminently accessible, right? It reminds me of that old Saint, mm-hmm. Saint that old Augustinian I don't know if it's a real experience, but it's always attributed to him about, you know, finding the kid on the water and the kid trying to fill the little hole in the sand with the water from the ocean. And he's like you know, you got a better shot of, uh, of, of understanding, you know, if you can do that, you can understand the Trinity kind of thing, but there's so much, so much mm-hmm. depths, you know, to plumb. And, um, and it's this kind of undiscovered treasure that for many people, well, for many people it doesn't even exist in their life. And for others, maybe it just sits like a book on a shelf, but it's just, it, re- it really is our sort of trying to make, to try to put into words, this great mystery that's sort of everywhere. Um, and, and yeah, it's been a mm. big, a big part of, of, of my life as well in kind of going through it. And understanding also the synchronicity and how everything is tied into each other, right? Because you've got these like mm. y- these things that are more applicable today, but they're based on these super ancient, you know, kind of sources. And it really does bear out the idea of the church being ever ancient but ever new. And 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 it's it's because such it's a powerful because instrument. We're still humans. Yeah, <laughs> we're all humans for you know, sure. My mother used to my mother used to call it an elevator religion. Mm. You could you could share the gospel by the time you got on the elevator and the time you got off. Heck yeah, you know, Absolutely. just the simple truth: God loves you. You know, you've fallen short, you know, you've fallen short, uh, but go to the Lord, seek his forgiveness, invite him into your heart and surrender your will to him and, and, uh, and begin your journey with God. It's, it's the good news. It's, it's the gospel. It's the, it's that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But then it's like, you know, people, someone asked me the other day, do you find being in the Catholic church confining? It had all, has all these rules and all this. And I like, I've never thought of it like that Mm. ever. 
But I just remember what uh, G.K. Chesterton said. He said that the Catholic Church is the only thing that is bigger when you go into it than when you're standing on the outside looking at it. And he also said that the structure of orthodoxy lets good things run wild. Mm. And so I've never had a more wild, you know what, dude, if you want to really live life, do your best to abandon yourself to God's will. My, my personal creed is that the most radical thing you can do in life is abandon yourself to the wild adventure Amen. of God's will. Because when you're in God's will, you get to see God do stuff. You know, you, you know there, God puts you on a mission and, and always a mission that you can't accomplish on your own. And you say, and you pray and you ask the Lord and then mountains get moved. It's just the coolest thing in the world to be in God's will, you know, and have that great adventure. Of course, the greatest adventure is, is um, some people think because I've run with the bulls and I'm skydiving pilot and all that kind of stuff that I'm this great adventurer. But the greatest adventure is to have children and to bring them up in the Lord and see these, or, or as a priest too, to bring, to, to nurture immortal beings into their, hopefully their, their place in eternity in heaven. Amen to that. What, a, what an adventure that is. Well, and, and let's, let's kind of key on that a little bit. For those folks who may not know you, and just so you know, Bear, on this show, We've got a lot of folks uh, who listen to it from across the spectrum, right? The spectrums, and mostly, I guess, because of sort of my background and having spent so much time in the business world and the secular entertainment world and all that stuff, we have people that are broadly speaking on a journey themselves. And look, on some level, we're all on a journey, but you got people of all stripes and you got Catholics and very serious ones and you got people who might be more lukewarm and people who aren't Catholic at all. But, you know, so you've got that kind of in the background, but I think that what's interesting about you, for those who don't know you, and, you know, that that theme of adventure, though, and I understand what you just said about fatherhood, and I would agree with that, but nevertheless, that notion of adventure runs pretty prominently through your kind of, you know, timeline, right? So, you know, world champion surfer, your motorcycle guy, we could definitely talk about that, because so am I. Uh, you know, author, presenter, you know, skydiver, all these different things. But what is it, though? About husband and hu- father. Of course. And that's mm-hmm. first, actually, yeah. right? Husband and yeah. father. That is yeah. our true vocation. Yeah. But grace builds on nature, right? So there's something about you that, you know, enjoys those peripheries and those things that maybe the garden variety Catholic doesn't necessarily engage in. How have those things, though, been like, instru- you know, uh, instrumental, I guess, to your to your journey, to your faith? Well, you know, um, you know, speaking platonically, I feel I'm uh, fulfilling my purpose, Mm. not just to know, love and serve God in this world, but that there's a certain way he's wired and made me and sailing and pedaling my bicycle across the United States and riding the motorcycles and skydiving and surfing around the world, ninja black belt, all those things just go on and on and on. But to me, it's in my nature to, to do that. It's, 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 I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a daredevil, right. uh, but I've surfed big waves. Um, all of that is just an expression of really wanting to experience life to the fullest. Yeah. But it's just the way I experience it. It's not that everybody would experience it that way. But to me, I always know the next thing. Like right now, I'm really getting into pos- pro- the prospect of possibly doing more sailing again. You mm. know, I used to have a sailboat years ago. And I just have these, 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 these. But I have found as I pursue these natural inclinations that I just go, I know it's the Holy Spirit. I can sense the nudge from the Holy Spirit. I kind of always know the, what the next thing is. But you know, like when I got my pilot license, it wasn't so that I would have a lifestyle of piloting an airplane. I just want to know how to fly one and land one. And I was doing it with my son who was, uh, who always wanted to be a pilot. I have a picture of him right here. My, my youngest son, Joshua. Nice. That's when we built my cabin in Montana. I don't know if you can see. He's I can got see a Cessna it. 17, he's got a Cessna 172 in his hand. 
So from that moment, I thought, well, I'm going to wait and I'm going to go learn to fly with my son, Josh. So um, it's just all things that come natural. But in that, in that sense of adventure, the stepping out, um, stepping out and expanding your, as the Bible says, expanding your tent pegs. Mm. Uh, think about it, what it took for the children of Israel to cross the Red Sea and then to cross into the promised land at both times at, with flood, you know, flood stage waters. Um, the boldness that I took. And the thing is basically this, to do that, to step into that adventure takes a certain boldness. Um, my son, Jeremiah, my oldest, he surfed 85 foot waves. You know, wow. he's that bold. Yeah. But now he's kind of hooked on golf, <laughs> which he's got me hooked on too. But the thing about that is when you step outside of your comfort zone, you get to experience, uh, you have fresh air, you have more room to breathe. You can, you know, it's like you can feel your lungs and, and the Lord takes pleasure in that. And when you step out of, when, when you're a Christian, um, just by the very nature of you being a Christian, the virtue of fortitude or what we might call coraggio or boldness, you're going to be required to be bold. Mm. That's what, I mean, if you think you can just sit on a couch and be a Christian, you're just, you're what we call people like that who just sit on the sidelines. Here in Hawaii, we call them posers. Mm. Like right now I can look out there like yesterday when the surf was big and there's people walking around on the beach that looks like surfers, but they don't paddle out. Or they look like surfers are even wearing uh, Abercrombie and Fitch shirts that say lifeguard on them. Right. But they're posers. If you're not spending an hour every day in prayer and you're not, you know, pursuing to go deeper with God, then you're, you're a poser and you're missing out. That's the, that's the biggest part of it. But the one thing I know for those listeners that are saying, um, how does this guy talk as if he has this personal relationship with Jesus? How do I get from here to there? Well, God, is, God doesn't reward those who kind of sort of are curious. You know, I think it was also GK that said, or it might have been CS, that said, God hides himself just enough so those that can't, that don't really want to find him won't, mm. but those who diligently seek him will. And the Bible says, I am the rewarder of those who diligently seek me. Amen. But if you just kind of have God on the shelf as kind of a, a little uh, decoration in your house, don't expect that you're going to spend eternity with him. I mean, I, my dad was a deacon and I know he did a lot of funerals and I go to funerals and people will say, well, he's in a better place. Well, maybe not. That's right. We need to really contend with the fact, like you started this out, that young man that was in the middle of the ocean, the place you start out with God is fear. Mm. Because you're here because he created you and you're only alive because every breath you breathe, he's anointing. And maybe you better get right with that guy first and not just, throw him out as if he's some mythological mumbo jumbo, but really get serious from a philosophical point of view, you know, who is, who is the, who is the, uh, who is the uh, ultimate causality who, who, who create, who caused all this? The uncaused cause. Even from a scientific point of view, yeah. you know, the uncaused cause, the on push, the on moved mover and get real philosophically and then pursue what, what makes sense. And if you read the Catholic catechism, Man, it just makes sense. And that's what I dig about adventure too, Bear, because like the idea of that, the awe, right? I mean, fear, filial fear is another way to think about it, right? And in fact, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, when you read them in scripture, fear is the only one that's repeated twice. So having that that sense of awe and fear is really true. And look, like your son, or I know he's more into golf now, but if you're at, you know, if you're surfing yeah. a, a break at Tiapu or at Mavericks, like there is awe. We've been there together. I bet. We've been out at Chopu. Yeah. yeah. And I think that on a it, big day. if it, that's like the awe of looking, you know, staring at a swell that size and going, I'm going to go out there. But what it does, I think to your earlier point is 
there is a, a level of boldness and courage that is the fruit of a longing for God, a seeking for God, and the gift of faith that's given, right? Because like, and you can kind of bring those things together in those experiences. At least that's what I think. You get the combination of the enormity, the amazing experience of whatever it is, jumping out of a plane, flying one, et cetera. And by the way, we both have sons that are pilots because my son, one of my sons this is a pilot too. He just got his commercial so license. Cool. Um, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He just, he, he taught himself on, believe it or not, on YouTube initially. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. YouTube. And then, and then I forget the software everybody used, but. Um, oh yeah. The SIM software. Yeah. You learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they learn all that. They learn to fly instrument. They were so good at instrument flying because they've been instrument flying in their in their in, in their software that they have. Yeah, that they get that a lot sooner. And he did a whole thing with uh, you know getting into these uh, ATC communities where he would like hear them you know squawking back and forth with all the different things, and he just kind of picked up that language and learned it and just loved it and had this super kind of brain that wanted to you know he, he's very process driven, very oriented to that, but at the end of the day, very. Um, you know, driven to, to do certain things that he finds a lot of joy and a lot of love in. But, um, but yeah, and, and he didn't get that from me at all because I'm not, you know, not unlike you. I didn't say like, Hey, let's learn this together. I was just like, Hey man, I'll, 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 I'll support you. But, uh, I, I, I wasn't, uh, so inclined, but it's been a great adventure for him. And, you know, I think it's, it's also helping well, him in his spiritual walk. Well, think about that when you, when they, when they, when the, when the instructor gets, when you're, you're with the instructor and you're on the tarmac. Yep. And he steps out of the plane and says, the sky is yours. And suddenly you're going down the runway with no one else in the cockpit with you. Um, that takes a certain boldness. And, but once you, you are airborne, you are abandoned to that airplane. You know, And it's like when Amen. Jeremiah dropped into the 85-foot wave. Once you drop in over the ledge, that wave owns you. The sky owns you when you, when you fly an airplane. Once you have liftoff, you know, and so there's a certain thing in our life mm. uh, of, of abandonment to God's will. And there, there is, the thing about faith is there's two types, there's two parts to faith. There's first of all, faith rests. Faith uh, rests in the beloved. Faith uh, is not white knuckles. It's, it's just devotion to someone who you know is devoted to you. But then the other part of faith is that it leaps. So at some point you have to take a leap of faith. Yeah. But I don't think, you know, when I first had this experience where I, I was with other people that I could just see other Catholics that really love the Lord. And I had been really wanting to see, I would have been seeking God too. I've been re- taking all the philosophy classes at Baylor. I was studying Buddhism through my martial arts. And I just like, where are you, God? You know, and then I found him in the Catholic church where, where I'd been raised. But when I said, I really want what you have, they said, well, you might, you really need to think about this because you need to surrender everything if you want to give you, if you're going to, if you want this life in the Lord, mm. you wait a week and think. But then once you make that leap, like your son did when he first piloted that sure. plane, first without, without the instructor, or when you drop into a big wave, once you, once you go over the ledge, you know, so once you say to Jesus, yes, and you, and you call him not just savior, but you call him Lord, then he begins to work in your life. You've given him the permission. He begins to work in your life in, a, in, the, in the deepest way possible and sometimes in the most challenging way possible and certainly in the most rewarding way possible, the, the, the consolations of the Holy Spirit. It's a leap of faith, too, for the parents, at least as aviation is concerned. I remember him taking his first solo. I think he was 16 or 17 and watching him take off and kind of enter into the air and just become that blip, right, going off into the horizon and there was a moment of abandon for me as well, a moment of great faith building yes. for me as well. And so yes. like this, this aspect of adventure, 
fortifies and strengthens and all the things of the participant who's actually doing it. But by extension, because we're a community and a family, it kind of does something for us as well. Right. You know, and the thing is, think about like with riding a motorcycle. Yeah. It's one thing to drive a car. You got four wheels on the ground, but the first time you, you rev the engine and your, your feet go off the ground and you're, you know, you're, you know, when you're first learning how you tend to, you, you're, you feel like you're going to fall. So you pull back on the bars and all that does is the grip, it just speeds it up. You know, there's just that certain moment of liftoff that, that we call it in, in, in piloting um, rotation speed. Rotation. That's right. You know, when you, when you're moving in the Lord and you're moving in the Lord, but I don't, I don't, I don't suggest anybody have some sort of emotional response and say, because of that, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I think it really takes someone who's willing to do their homework um, go to your lo- go to someone that you trust who you know loves Jesus. Go to a Catholic deacon or or the priest or others that you know. Doesn't necessarily have to be Catholic, of course. Someone who loves Jesus, but uh, and then begin to pursue. Mm. I mean, I really recommend someone who's more on the intellectual and read Peter Kraft, read G.K. Chesterton, read C.S. Lewis, read Augustine, read 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 my beautiful Thomas Aquinas. See, I have his. You got, you got all of them back there. You got I the have summa. the Summa of the Summa right over here. I don't know where it is. It's the Summa. Read, read Father uh, Spitzer. Oh, absolutely. If you need that. In, it, but, if you need, if, but on, on the other hand, if you're more of the Franciscan, you, you, you're more wanting, you, you, some people see the beauty in, in, in wisdom and knowledge. Others see it like St. Francis, you know, in nature. Nature. And, uh, and, uh, or, or perhaps uh, in Therese of Lisieux, our little, our angel who, who was, uh, the little flower was, uh, died when she was so young, little flower, or, or maybe you would find that same experience, this unique, special experience. What I, I think the, the, one of the most read books other than the Bible in the imitation of Christ from Thomas Akempis. Um, amazing book. But, too. but go to someone, the whole thing about Christianity is you, someone always comes alongside you. You need to have someone to come alongside you in your journey. Find that person who, you know, and ask them to help lead you. And the thing of it is, is there's so many different ways in, right? I mean, you just talked about, I know you've got a Benedictine spirituality, by the way, that's another thing we've got in common. My brother's a Benedictine monk and priest, by the way, lives in uh, Valermo, California in the desert. Um, my only, really? my only brother. Yeah. He's two years older than I am. And, uh, and so the Benedictine spirituality runs deep. But one of the parts that I dig the most about being Catholic is all these different ways in that recognize the great tapestry of expression that the human family actually has, right? So you just talked about Franciscans, but there's like dozens, right? And dozens of different kind of spiritual and cultural modalities and all these different ways, whether you, you know, you were able to really strengthen that relationship with Christ through, you know, interacting with the face of the poor, with, you know, with, with tapping into your sense of charity, Mm -hmm. into your sense of loving you know, the, at the margins or whether it's in the sense of this great intellectual tradition, which you've talked about. And we've got incredible giants that are still around today. You've mentioned Peter Kraft and Robert Spitzer. <laughs> I mean, those guys are giants. I got to get both of them on my, on my show, but I've got particular devotion to, uh, to, to Peter Kraft, who I met one time Me too. and I literally yeah. geeked out on the guy. Like, you know, I've been in Hollywood for 20 <laughs> plus years and like, I see celebrities in quotes all over the place. And I got a chance to work with a lot of them. But man, when I came in contact with Peter Kraft, I was like, I got to, I just got to tell you that, um, you, you know, your work has been, I, I can't even put it into words. And it was just such a blast to just get a chance to actually talk to the guy. And so we've got this great, tra- this great richness, right? These traditions, these backgrounds, these cultures, and these great giants that are here. But all of that is a way, bec- is all of that as a, as a kind of example of the kind of loving God that we have 
that recognizes that we're all made in his image, but every one of us is unique, right? Is un- unique ever in the past, in the future, in times to come, like yes. there'll never be another one like us. And so there's all these kind of doorways in. But it's, it's not like all paths lead to heaven. Of either. course I not. Mean, we, I mean, I know you're not saying that. Um, so many diversions in the new age movement. You think about the writings of Locke and Hume and those people um, who just kind of, they, 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 they said, throw out tradition, you know, throw it all out. Sure. You know, we're going to start something new, which, which you see a lot today in the cancel culture. I, I forget whose quote it was, but I'm going to paraphrase it. He said, people sometimes think tradition is, 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 is ashes. But really, it's it's tradition is the preservation of fire. Mm. You know that coal, yeah. that, that the ember, the that ember you, you fan into flame. The, the 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 teaching of the church when you read the early church fathers, it's so profound. You do they're smarter than most people today by far. Yeah, the early church fathers, the Greek fathers, and the Latin fathers, brilliant, 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 brilliant minds. But then I got to have a cigar with Father Robert Spitzer. You know, I have my own. Uh, what are you smoking right my now? My own. Uh, this is this. These are mine. I have my own line of cigars. They're the deep virtue, uh, uh, the deep virtue, seven virtue cigar samplers. They're Maduros and and they're available at my site. Can I tell people my site? Of course. Site? Yeah, yeah. We're going to put everything okay. in the show notes too, by the way. So go ahead. Okay. Deepadventure.com. So one day at the Napa Institute, when I, I sponsored the two, they always have a cigar night and whiskey, you know. Yep. I was there night. last year. I'll be there so again I, next month or this month, rather. Well, I, I know, man. I should just break away and go. I really should. I would love to see you there again, Charlie. Yeah, I'd love for to sure. see you there, Charlie. Sure. But, but I had all these cigars. And so Father Spitzer loves cigars. So it just so happens I sat next to him. I sat down and then he sat next to me with my cigar, smoking my cigar. So he was there for an hour and I go, I really love your books, you know. Um, uh, and so being the pr- former president of Gonzaga, he started to like give me a pop quiz almost. You know, really? To see if I'd really read his books. But for those who are listening, one of the, the things, one of the things that he makes, makes, a point that he makes is um, that we all have that there's a soul, the soul has an upward yearning for mm, God. It mm. might be uh, we, we desire justice. And by the way, one of the, the, the virtues of humility actually comes under the virtue of justice because justice is given to each person what they have due from us. And we owe everything to God. That's, that's where humility comes. But we have a desire for justice. Mm. Even a criminal doesn't like to have someone, you know, steal from them. We have a desire for truth, you know, even to like, how does this car work or how do they make this or what, what, you know, why does, why is the isosceles triangle? We have all these, we're curious and we want, but we want to know the truth. And even a liar doesn't like to be lied to. Mm. And then we have a desire for beauty, which Peter Kraft was converted through beauty, as was my, in my heritage as a Ukrainian, when the emperor back around the year, I think it was 560, 600, he said, we're not going to be doing our, our, our pagan type religion anymore. We're going to find out what we should worship. And they sent out emissaries to the Jews, to the Muslims, and to the Eastern Church, the Catholic Church, the Greek Church, to the Sophia, Hagia Sophia. And he said, well, I think basically it boiled down to he, he liked to eat bacon and Muslims and Jews don't eat bacon. Maybe, maybe that's what it was because I'm Ukrainian. <laughs> I get it. you know. But no, they, he, he was converted because it described the beauty of, course. of, the, of the faith. And the whole, the whole nation was converted in one weekend. They were all baptized. But well, and it makes sense, that, too. And, if, and we, if God is the culmination of all beauty, if he's the most beautiful because he, you know, he kind of like gave us all of these, uh, these things to long for, then it makes sense that the more beautiful would be a further runway towards that ultimate beauty, right? So it all stands to reason. I actually just recently, there's a young couple that my wife and I are mentoring to, and 
I've been, I'm transitioning from my current parish. I'm, I'm getting reassigned to a new parish. And so for the last couple of months, the diocese have, has had me doing a little bit of a, uh, you, you know, kind of try before, uh, tr- try before you buy <laughs> at a number of different yeah. parishes. Right. And so I've invited them. I said, Hey, why don't you come and come to mass? They're on a little bit of a journey. Neither one of them is Catholic, but as like, come to mass and you, you'll get a chance to sample this broad swap because I'm going to be at all these different parishes over the course of the next few months. Mm. And I noticed this last weekend, we're at a beautiful church here in Los Angeles called St. John Chrysostom. And it's this amazing. I love St. John Chrysostom. I love, I love his writings. Yeah. Well, he's a, yeah, of course he's, you know, one he's of the kind great, of smart, the great fathers of the church. Kind of Absolutely. Well, yeah. when, you know, he, he, there's a, there's a ton there we can go into, but this particular church is stunning in its beauty. And since, you know, as a deacon, I sit in the sanctuary and I look out at, at, at the congregation and you could see all kinds of craziness, you know, that's part of the fun. I'm going to write a book one day about just the craziness I've seen sitting in that chair. But one of the, but but I but over the last you know five or six churches that this young couple's come to us or come with us to, I've I've keyed on them right. I've been looking at them and going, okay, how are they taking this in? And at this church, yes. which is just glorious, and not that the other churches have been ugly, they haven't been, but you know they're maybe more mission style or kind of more basic, or whatever. But this particular church was just amazing, and to look at their faces from the sanctuary at this last mass, you could see that bear. You could see them like trying to take all, all this sort of enormity in and, and you could see the, 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 the change that was happening, right. Just by looking at their faces. So I, I do think that that is such an important, uh, you know, kind of driver, which is why I dig on stuff like, uh, Archbishop, uh, uh Cordelione's, um, you know, Benedict the 16th yes. Institute, which is, and I've had a number of contributors from the Benedict 16th Institute on this show that are all oriented about, how do we make this sort of truth, beauty, and all these great, you know, amazing virtues? How do we bring those into 2022 where like everything is, uh, you know, a four inch screen and stuck to our faces half the time and, and we're just in a world right. of distraction? Right. And, you know, and people have this, this beauty, also, this desire also for, um, when you think about it, like right now, I, I, I live a keto based regimen usually. Yeah, because so do I. I have to make weight. I have to make weight to compete, right? And I, and I don't lose muscle and I... Re- and I've gone through like so much in the last few months, last few years, cancer and torn muscles and because of radiation, all that kind of stuff. But, um, but so I got fat. <laughs> so I've been training, training to get my ketosis. Uh, it, my, I've been in my, back in my eating regimen to drop that weight and to get strong again. One of my friends, uh, Pat Gervais, he's in my, he's, he's a member of Bear School of Manliness and, uh, one of my, on my site. And, uh, we have this deal going that if he, if he, uh, if he loses more weight, uh, in a week than I do, then I have to sing a song in public and record it and send it to him. This week I have to sing girls just want to have fun. That's what I got. Oh do my Lord. But I mean, now are you a singer? I mean, are you a the, singer the, though? Can you pull that off? I used to lead worship. I used to have, used to, used to play the drums and lead worship. I had an album out at one point, but I'm not a musician. I'm a hack. Yeah, but, um, me too. But I had a, I had a, um, uh, but, but the, 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 the eating regimen is so important. Mm. If you want to remain strong, uh, how, what you allow into your mind, and we're just being bombarded right now by, um, by, uh, um, I mean, my iPhone, I, I, we have an app with my ministry that, that, that you can use to like, I pray my liturgy, the hour through my app, Yeah. but, but you have to kind of have a disciplined path when you're on, when you have that iPhone with you, or you who knows where it will take you. And so what you, what you allow, what, what we talk about uh, in the school of manliness, one of the months is that we talk about is just training your mind. You know, the Bible says, bring all thoughts into captivity mm. and don't, don't allow the enemy, you know, to, to pollute your mind. And we have, we have no reason 
you know, as Paul said, whatever is beautiful, whatever is, I forget all the whole lines, but whatever is right, whatever is true, whatever is excellent, think on these think things. Think on those we things. Have to, Mm-hmm. I mean, we, you know, what we, what you allow on your TV at home, everybody knows this, but how, how many practice it? The best way to, the best way to cap, bring all your thoughts into captivity is to start your morning off in prayer. Amen. And then you have the right mindset through the day. Do you have like a, do you have a regimen? You have a, a like a rhythm, things that you do, uh, you know, kind of prayer wise? I get up in the morning and I have a prayer chair. Mm. I open up the windows so I can hear the morning uh, birds before the sun rises and I pray the liturgy, the hour, the morning liturgy. Yeah. And I, and of course I hear, I can see the sun rising over the island of Molokai sometime, even though it's 40 miles away. And I, uh, I um, do that. And then when my wife gets up and she's had her first cup of coffee, we go for a little coffee walk and we sit and then we pray. Uh, we read the, the readings of, of the mass that day together. Mm. If we go, we could go to mass right next door to us too. Uh, we only go once one weekday a week because, um, it's restricted there right now, but actually the Catholic church is right next to me. I could point down to the altar directly below me. Wow. But I, I think, I think it is important to have a discipline pattern. And then when we do our, our walks, we pray the rosary or when we're in the car, we do the rosary. And then in the evenings, you know, we kind of have this kind of rhythm where we, we sit down, we have met, we have a, we, we always say our little prayer before we eat. And then we maybe, maybe watch a little bit of the news, but honestly, we can only watch it for about 10 minutes. Yeah, only so much of that. And, you then, can we tr- and then we turn off the TV and we have about an hour of just reading, mm. just reading. I think, you know, Lectio Divina, reading the, what, you know what, maybe, I bet you're like this too. To me, reading one of the, one of the great books, like right now, when I had this last resurgery, this muscle reattachment a few weeks ago, while I was coming out of anesthesia and I was kind of bedridden for the first week, I read through all of C.S. a collection of C.S. Lewis books, you know? So to me, reading a book by, reading St. John Chrysostom or reading Augustine or reading a campus or St. Therese of Lisieux or Catherine of Siena, to read the catechism to me is prayer. I feel like I'm communing with God when I'm reading the Bible. Also, you know, of course, that I feel like the Holy Spirit's there right with me, teaching me. Well, you know, we don't we don't think about some of these things sometimes, but you know, the idea that Jesus is the Word of God, right? And the fact that reading requires us, you know, looking at, understanding, comprehending words. That the idea that words and language and the way that we actually take on experience and wisdom and intelligence and knowledge of all kinds is also through words, right? I think that's one of the the things that I find that's so sad about um, where we find ourselves in terms of technology and media and the distraction that it's caused is that in many cases, we that has accelerated the jettisoning of reading, which is really interacting with words. And of course, Christ, again, being the ultimate word, right? The logos, right? The conveyance of, of God's mind and that spirit that can't be plumbed by anyone or anything except for the spirit of God himself. Like we've lost some of that because that is what reading is in a way, is a reflection or an image of the eternal word. That's the whole kind of point. He could have done it anyway, Bear. He could have said, you know what? I'm not, the way we're going to transmit knowledge by this community of humans I'm going to create is going to be through intuition, just like the angels do. The angels don't read. They right. don't need to. He could have done That's that. That's cool, yeah. He could have done that, but he, he gave us, you know, reading. When, well, you, when you come to LA, I'll show you my library. Oh man, I've, I've I've gotten to see Father Mitch Paqua's library, and when oh, I went, well. I've been in his house, and and whenever and I, whenever I interviewed uh, Mike Aquilina, they're just 
books. It looks like they would just tumble down like a bunch of dominoes if he's not careful. But when you think about it, um, Audible also, there's audio books. Oh, yeah. Audio books has all kinds of books that are anytime, anything out of copyright. So they sometimes have the worst readers. You can't bear to listen to them. But a lot of the ancient writings are there that you can listen to. And, and, and you know, back in Augustine's day, up until about the time of Augustine, all books were read out loud. Mm. And so, uh, in fact, I, it's my little pun that it was unheard of to read a book silently to yourself. And Augustine was blown away when he saw Son Ambrose just sitting there and reading mm. quietly. So it's not, some people go, well, I don't really like to read. And maybe listening on Audible isn't really reading a book, but that's the way it used to always be. Yeah. You know, and most people didn't have a, didn't have a, a Bible. It was read from them. That's why mass is structured with the liturgy of the word. That's why it's the way it is. You know, that, that, um, so listening to the books and reading, but in this day and age, think about it, the low, you know, think about Tolkien, who we love so much. Mm -hmm. I forget exactly what his, uh, what the word is. I forget at the minute, but he was a, his life was a, he was a historian of words. Mm. And C.S. Lewis was, uh, was uh, an expert. He was a ling linguist professor, I believe. And you see now, you see things like, like in the abortion uh, movement, you know, Planned Parenthood. What a twist of words that is. Yeah, of course. And so you see the whole woke movement and you see Satan from the very, very beginning, has God not said? And then he says something God said and twists it. Mm -hmm. Or even when Jesus was tempted, he says something God says and then twists it. So words are really important. And we can't let people take words and change their meanings. And we see that so much. The, the progressive movement, while is it progressive? It seems kind of like very destructive to me. And so, yeah, I agree with you. Words are so important. And then here's Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God. And through him all things came to be, and nothing came to be except through him. Mm. Jesus is the Word. That's right. And so to meditate on his Word. And as Christians, you know, we're told to meditate. But we don't, the word, the root word for meditate is ruminate, like the way a cow, I've been interviewing a lot of cowboys lately. Okay. You know, a cow, a cow chews the grass, swallows it, spits it up, chews it again, and then it goes into another stomach and, and, and goes through those several stomachs. That's what Christian meditation is, is meditating on God's word and chewing on it. If you start out the day and meditating on God's word, you'll chew on it all day long mm. and you'll get deeper and deeper um, understanding of what that word is. And by the way, there's two places in the Bible where it mentions success. I think one is in the beginning of Joshua and one is in maybe the chapter one of the first Psalm. It says, in the Psalms, if you meditate success. on my words, yeah. If you, yeah, there will be success. So the word success and meditation. And I think Psalm 91 too, brings success to the work of my hands, um, which I, which I always like, I, I love that prayer. Cause obviously I, I pray I love that the hours as well. Yeah. Um, that's another one, by yeah. the way, that's repeated. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Do you speak other languages, Bear? Well, I pray in tongues. You pray in tongues? Okay. Well, Other that, than that, the, the, I pray in a heavenly language. The angelic language. But I, I, I kind of somewhat sort of understand. Any human language. order food. I can order food in French and in Spanish. All right. Perfect. Well, I, I, you know, I'm fluent in Spanish. And the reason you're, I, Oh, yeah. You're, you're, you're Latino, I right? am. A Latino? Latino? My, yeah, family's, okay. my family's Colombian. I'm first generation American, born here in Los Angeles, and got back to California by way of a bunch of different countries. But, um, but the reason I bring up language is because there's, you know, there's a particular lens or layer that other languages sometimes can give you. Um, and I, I find mm -hmm. reflecting on this all the time because a word, you mentioned ruminate as a word, as a word to better understand meditation, right? From a Christian context. Mm -hmm. The other word, which does exist in English is, is contemplation. But in mm -hmm. Spanish, the idea of 
of contemplar, which is how you would say contemplación is the noun, but contemplar is the verb. Contemplar means everything that contemplation means in English, but it has this other layer, which is really cool because a mom, when she has a young child and she's loving and, and kind of petting mm. and just caressing that child and just loving on them, that is called mm. contemplar. That's to like cuddle, no. to like, yeah. So the idea Beautiful. of like contemplating also has this sense of like resting in God and letting him love you, right? And letting him yes. like just pet and say, you're my son, you're my daughter. I love you. I'm there for you. Yes. And like, I just, yes. I, I love those like little, 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 you know, angles that you can get from different languages because it tells you so right. much about what God's actually trying to tell us in all these different ways. I used to go preach in a, in a Guatemalan area in LA and I had a Spanish and a, and a um, English translation yeah. side by side in the Bible that I had. But I want to tell you an experience. I used to lead the worship at the Catholic Charismatic Group in uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico, mm. many, many years ago, back in the 80s. And um, the, the Latinos there, we would, they would pray in English usually because we had a big mass every, night, every Tuesday night, I think it was, 500 people there, and we would worship the Lord, and we'd have that, that, that prayer meeting experience. And they would pray in English usually. But when we were in our smaller groups— this, this beautiful word that you just said, they would pray in their natural language mm. and their native tongue. And it became, it was so much more beautiful and deep, the, their prayer. And I just remember once I was asking God about why God gave us the gift of tongues. And I was thinking like, that's weird. Why would you do that? Well, first of all, God is, we're going back to Jesus as the word. It's illogical not to pray in tongues. Mm. And the reason why is because it's, it's most freeing to pray in your native tongue. And if, I'm, if my citizenship is in heaven, it's the most natural to pray in a heavenly language. And so I think all people who have the Holy Spirit have that gift within them if they ask God to fan it into flame. But mm. praying, in, praying in tongues for me is, is um, it, it, I, I always think about my experience in Las Cruces when I pray in tongues. That when you said... Con, Contemplare. I don't know how you yeah, say contemplare. it just sounds so it goes right to the heart mm. like an arrow and so when you pray in tongues um, it is also that way it's the logos of God Jesus himself praying through you via the Holy with the through the Holy Spirit the prayers that God the Father wishes and so I know like when I pray for people I pray for them and they ask for prayer I usually start praying in in my heavenly language and then in time, uh, I will get the sense of what the Holy Spirit is praying, and mm. and then I'll I'll pray in English. But it seems to be a door that opens up to really have an in, insight into how to pray and, and 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 what the Lord is saying to that person. So there again, it goes back to that that desire that the importance of words mm. that you'll be washed in the form of words. May you be metamorphosed by the renewing of your mind, mm. and so to, so to be very attentive to what words we say. And what words we allowed to, you know, I was out golfing in a contest the other day with a couple of young guys and they're listening to the worst gangster rap, you mm. know, just defiling women and, mm. and saying the worst, you know, I'm such a tough guy. And finally, just, I just asked them, you know, because I'm old enough now, I can say obnoxious things. I can say whatever I want. And I just said, do you think listening to that does any harm to your soul? Mm. And I just left it at that. And, you know, there, there was an emperor, I was reading Warren Carroll, I bet you love Warren Carroll too, the great historian. And he was talking about how there's an emperor in China who would send out emissaries every year through his countryside to, I don't know if he was an emperor, but he was a king or some, some sort, 
And he would say, come back to me, come back and tell me what kind of music they're listening to or playing. Oh yeah. I've heard this expression if you could before. Tell, yeah. You can tell yeah, a lot. If about- it was discordant, if it was discordant, he knew there was trouble brewing. And so music is so powerful and the words we listen to are so important. And the words we say are so important. Like as a ninja black belt, I learned to never say I've got a problem. I've learned to say I've got a I've got a challenge mm. because yeah. warriors want to rise to the occasion, right? Uh, or someone will say, "Well, I'm going to try." No, we don't use that word. Mm. Are you going to do it or not? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's so right. words are very powerful, very powerful, and that's because the second person of the Trinity is the Logos. He is the He is the Word of God. Where do Captain you w. bear? I know you're obviously you've got the you bear school of manliness, and you've got a number of other kind of ministries, and I want to talk a little bit about that, but. As you kind of look out, right, you've got this great global perspective, and we talked about grace building on nature, and you have the advantage of, you know, kind of having operated at some peripheries where a lot of Christians don't necessarily play, and maybe running into a bunch of different, you know, food groups of folks who maybe the, you know, garden variety Catholic doesn't get to run into, right, bikers and pilots and things like that. When you look out at, like, what we're living in right now in the U.S., like this time of kind of great uh, polarization and maybe confusion, distraction, however you want to kind of call it. But it, you've kind of identified manliness, I think, by virtue of your ministry as kind of a gap. But is that intentional? Like, and what other gaps do you think kind of exist that we need to kind of That's double That's really down it, on? man. Yeah. If you want to get rid of abortion, we need men to be men. Mm. Because women get abortions because men uh, are not men, they're boys. As St. As Thomas Aquinas said, that his definition of an effeminate per man was someone who seeks pleasure. Mm. And men can go out and have sex and have no commitment. John Paul II's first writings were love and responsibility. We call in Hawaii kuleana. Mm. You know, kuleana here is is more than just stewardship or responsibility. It's like I own this. This is this is me. Mm. Uh, this this kuleana, this responsibility having men. The, it makes me angry because I see so many boys out there. Oh, I can have sex with this girl. I can I can I can objectify her through pornography, and it's no harm, which is a bunch of which is a bunch of BS. And and, and I tell you, if, if men, if, you know, we had, humanity vitae had it right. You know, we need to. When the pill came out, and all of a sudden women were put under put under pressure to have sex outside of marriage, they broke the social contract with each other, and all of a sudden men men didn't have to be men; they could remain boys their whole life, and they could go from girl to girl to girl. And I'm so proud of the women out there that hold the line and say no. Yeah, I'm. I, I was a virgin on the night I was married. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's too much anymore. No. But we used to be men. Used to hold each other to a standard like that. And then I began to see, we began to see uh, society totally deteriorate when the pill came out and, and the, you know, the free love sort of thing came out. And so what I see, the biggest need I see right now, and kind of the answer to almost every condition out there, is if men would be men again. Hmm. If men would protect women, if they would take Kuliana and take responsibility. Um, women are very powerful. I'm, my new book, Where Have All the Cowboys Gone, that I'm working on right now, the, and, uh, subtitled The 12 Rules of Manliness, um, it basically is, 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 you know, in, in my favorite author, Louis L'Amour, mm, my first sure. editor was Louis L'Amour's last editor. Oh, really? Um, every one of his books, there's always powerful women there. Yeah. Women are powerful. I mean, that's what we call the women who follow us, the mama bears, but that doesn't mean they're never vulnerable. Mm. Right. You can be in a vault. Like when I tested for both of my black belts, I had, I had a, both times I had severe injuries and my, my sense, I said, yeah, you shouldn't test your, your, you're injured. And I go, well, in a fight, I'm going to probably be injured. So I'm going to test. I was vulnerable and I felt that vulnerability, but women are powerful. 
but that doesn't mean they're not vulnerable in this society. And they need men to be protectors. When I tandem surf with a woman, like when I took Cindy out tandem surfing for the first time, that's where we do these extreme overhead lifts when we surf. When I first started tandem surfing with her, she goes, did you have back surgery? And I go, no. And then like two weeks later, she goes, you sure you never had back surgery? And I go, no. You got all these scars on your back. Well, that's from me when someone drops in on me or there's a wipeout coming. I drop the girl down out of these these beautiful lifts, catch her, cradle her, and jump off the board backwards. And guess what? I'm the one who gets drugged across the reef. Yeah. All right. So my job is to protect that woman. And the key for a boy to become a man, what defines, really defines a man is how he treats women. Hmm. And so the, 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 the whole breakdown in society, I interviewed someone up in Cleveland we were riding motorcycles with the Catholic cross bears and the knights on bikes up there. And this girl came up. She'd never shared this with anybody. She said, I want to let you know that I had an abortion. And I said, if there had been a strong man in your life at that point, an uncle, a father, maybe the father of the child or your dad, would you have had an abortion? She said, no. Hmm. So, I, so sure. I think the whole key to the whole pro-life thing is men don't have sex outside of marriage. They don't treat, they don't subjectify women. They, they, they treat, they treat them. They don't objectify women. They treat them as a subject of love as John Paul II said. So yeah, you say I do a lot of different things. I have a very diverse ministry, but no, I really don't. My ministry is one thing. All, the point of the spear is always pointed right at the heart of men. Mm. And I, and I have some, I go, I go out and young, always when we go out, when we speak to, when Cindy's with me or even when she's not, we get surrounded by women and a lot of younger women. And they're saying, we need men to be men again. Yeah. They won't ask us out on dates or if they do, they just drag us along. Sure. And then, and they never ask us to marry them. Maybe if we get pregnant, they might get engaged. And it's like, I call them, you know, I, I you know, men say, oh, men will make these very derogatory comments about a girl. Well, I took her out on three dates and she won't put out. Or she just teases me. We make out, but we don't have sex. You know who the biggest teases in the world are? You know who are the biggest high school teases and girls teases in the world mm. are men mm. that lead women along, make them think they're going to, that they love them, make sure. them think they're going to commit to them and they don't. Yeah. And so uh, my challenge is to men to, man, if you want to have, as we said at the beginning, if you want to have a f fulfilling and exciting and powerful experience of life, love a woman the way she, the way, and, and treasure a woman and be devoted to a woman. Find a good woman and, and be devoted to her. As they said, someone once asked Archbishop Chaput when we were at the Napa Institute, what's the greatest evangelistic tool you know of? What, what program should we bring into our churches? He just said, get married, have children, bring them up in the Lord. Mm. Amen. So we need our men, I, we need our boys to become men. I also think, you know, this kind of brings to mind the fact that, you know, the enemy of our souls is like, as they say in Boston, he's wicked smart, right? Because a, yeah. a, a big part of that's happened, at least in my lifetime, I didn't get a chance to see some of the stuff that happened in the late 60s and all that. I was born in 73, but, but I, you know, obviously I've grown, grown up now with the byproducts of all that. But a big kind of thing that I've noticed now is a misapprehension around equating things like equality with um, identicality, right? Um, and this sense of, well, there are these traits that I attribute to men that tend to uh, position the man in an area of whether it's economic superiority or some other thing. And I kind of want those things. Therefore, in order for me to achieve those things, I have to then take on these particular traits. But that is a total, you know, upending of the notion of complementarity and the reality that we find our fullest masculinity when we recognize the fullness of the beauty and genius of femininity in its true sense, right? It's like you, you become like by, you know, tapping into these virtues you've already talked about, 
more of a man and can better understand yourself, can better comprehend yourself to the extent that you understand, you know, the, 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 the genius of, of femininity. And I feel that there's been a mishmashing of these things to like kind of look the same or try to be the same. And it's a total misapprehension, but behind it is a genius, right? Which is the enemy of our souls going like, oh, this, this is a good mm-hmm. one. Let's take something good like equality. And yeah, great. We should all be equal. And of course, from a Christian perspective, it's like, yes, equal in dignity, but we have differences that are attributed to the sexes and there's genius in the sexes. We know that because God made them. And so there's something really he made important. made them men there. and women, made them a- man and woman. Amen. And we've kind of like thrown these things away. And the great irony, the great rich irony in all of this is that the more we do that, the more we lose what is truly superior, superb, and excellent about the sexes, right? We're like kind of just, it, it reminds me of an old Rush song. I don't know if you ever got into progressive rock, but I, I'm a, I was a huge Rush fan. And it, it, there's, there's this song called The Trees where it's like, and the trees are all made equal by hatchet, axe, and saw, right? And the idea is there like, you go. it's like, yeah, but we're that's all dead. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? No, that's it. Wow. That is, that, that's a powerful, powerful, you know, really powerful statement. I heard, I heard a girl, my, my son, Joshua, who you met earlier as we were yeah, yeah, yeah. tuned up here. He was saying he had read, he had heard a, a girl quoted after the Roe versus Wade thing happened. She said, well, then, you know what? We're just going to stop having sex with men mm. until we're married. I saw some memes like, go out about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like yeah. the whole thing. You know what it is? When you, when you fight nature, it's like playing whack-a-ball. Mm. You know that whack-a-ball For thing? For sure. It's going to pop out some other end. Yeah. It's going to pop out some other way. And you're seeing that now as people have tried to force this transgenderism into sports. It's just... It, it, you know, we're all equal, but it's destroying, it's restoring, destroying the women's whole athletic movement that Title IX was meant to help, you know, help build. It's, it's like, just, yeah, we're going to let this person be something that they think they want to be. And, but we're in the process, we're going to destroy women. And so it's just so interesting, uh, you know, and, and you look at that man was made out of mud Mm. and women were taken from their Adam's rib. They're more highly distilled. They're more beautiful. Mm -hmm. They're more, they're. Oh my gosh, my wife is so wise, and I call her full of grace because she is. Mine but too. men are just kind of a little bit, little bit. We're different, yeah. And, and and you just look at the way we're built. You can see this goes there. You know, physically, a man and a woman will be will cleave together, and um, and cer- certainly there are there are there are people that struggle with gender identity, of course. But um, to try to say we're all the same is is false. Well, I also think that the, the we're equal but not the same. Correct, and I think that the other great um, the great um, tragedy in a lot of these ways of thinking is that the people that we presumably are trying to support and help are oftentimes the ones most hurt. Right. So look, I, mm-hmm. and I've been working and living in essentially the entertainment business for twenty plus years, and. You know, you can imagine, and I know you know this already, but I run across all types and I love, I have a lot of friendships and I have a lot of people who, you know, are not living, you know, in the fullness of, of how they were meant to be. And, and nevertheless, I, I, I love these people. I want to help these people. Yes. And, and they're and, courageous. Really. And they're super I mean, they, courageous. They, 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 I mean, they're, they're, they, they, they face so many difficulties. Of course, of course. And in, in a spirit of really true love, and, and that's another one of these distortions that's happened is sort of an understanding mm-hmm. of what love actually is. But um, right. in, in, if you really, truly love, if you really, truly will the good of another, right, the, as, 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 as Aquinas would say, if you really do will the good of the other, and you're going to be invested, you're going to be all in. And you're not going to be satisfied with these sort of like slogans and, you know, and, and different things. You're going to go deep and you're going to really quickly understand 
that at the heart of those uh, of those issues is some you know element of woundedness. And I've come across this so many times, so many times. My wife and I work quite a bit in homelessness um, ministries. And, I, you know, after 20 years of doing this, I can tell you right now that homelessness is not something to be solved. It's something to be healed. And there's a lot of brokenness and a lot of things. And if all I did was focus on this policy or, you know, let's clean up this park or do whatever and never took a moment to actually walk with somebody, get to know who they are, understand them as a human being and try mm-hmm. to help them from a, from mm-hmm. that standpoint of true love, it, I, we wouldn't make any, you know, any kind of progress whatsoever. Right. So there's like. A, a, well, that's why I love. Yeah, go ahead. That's why the Catholic Church doesn't, in writing the catechism, it says we don't know, identify people as homosexual or whatever the LGB, whatever the letter that would be. We identify them as children of God. Amen. And that's where they're the source of their dignity. Correct. And I know um, very close family members who, who, who struggle with gender issues. And, uh, and if they, most, you know, I worked for, a, 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 for six months, I helped this this, this nonprofit organization that specializes in child abuse hmm. and they had a, a, a hotline. Uh, and it was mostly, you know, of course it was sexual abuse usually, and usually pederasty, you know, a man on boy. Sure. Uh, and the whole hotline was, was the hotline, the people, when children called in, they called in and the, almost everyone in that hotline room were gay men answering the phone. And I got to know some of them and all of their stories are, no one says, I, no one that I met, I'm sure it's true though, many said I, w- I was born this way. Most of them have a very um, sad story of when they were, imp- when they, as they say, were imprinted, when they were abused by themselves. Mm. And so I look at, at people de- dealing with gender issues as ha- having great compassion for them and really watching how they struggle. But the problem is, uh, people are not allowed to give them the answer anymore. Yeah. The, I, I once went to a retreat and it was led by a man who was, uh, who was, who had same sex tendencies as, as Catholics say, Right. but he was celibate. He was celibate. Sure. He was, he was carrying that cross yeah. and he was being faithful. So, so um, going all the way back to that, um, uh, we need, we need, we need our, our, our men to be men. I was just talking with someone the other day who's, who's, who's going to be on my show who, uh, has a book out on the rite of passage for young men mm. here in Hawaii. My, my wife says, you know what? In Hawaii, there's a, there's a, there's a brotherhood here of men. And a lot of it is because we're out in the water, outrigger canoe or surfing or spear fishing or whatever, but there is a brotherhood here. And when I'm on the, when, I, when we go walk along the beach, you'll hear, you'll hear all along the walk. Aloha uncle, aloha auntie, aloha uncle, aloha auntie. Uh, we uncle the younger kids. If they got a problem, they'll come talk to us. So as men, we also have the kuleana, not just to take care of our own, but that there be a company of men that will, that will also affirm other young men. Yeah. And so, uh, and we need, we need, so my ministry, the core of my ministry is to speak to men. And I don't talk to them about being masculine. I just say, be manly. Mm. And, and I remember What's what John difference? Wayne said once, well, because masculinity has been co-opted going back to words, right? Mm. And so, uh, and manly is also a uh, politically incorrect statement. So it gets attention, but it's actually also the truth. And uh, we, and it's a way of challenging men to be a hero again. You're okay. It's okay for you to be manly. You don't have to apologize for your existence. The toughest one is the, is the child, the young boy who's been raised by a woman who hates men because she's been betrayed too many times. Sure. By men. Yeah. It's a tough bell to unring. So we as uncles, as we as uncles, we need to, we need to affirm them and, and uh, challenge them. And that's why I think the dumbing down of, of the church or making 
making the Catholic Church more accessible to other people is, is the wrong path. What we really need is men, especially, they want to be challenged. Mm-hmm. They want to pick up, they want to pick on a fight bigger than they can handle and then have others come alongside them, you know, and help them. But yeah, I, you know, you, you, you quoted Thomas Aquinas, love is willing the true good of the other. John Paul II said that uh, love is self-donation. Yep. And so it's willing the true good, but then doing something about it. Absolutely. Emptying of yourself, yourself right? out. Yeah. Right. Uh, modeled after the great, uh, the, the greatest emptying out uh, ever known in history. And that was Christ dying on the cross for all of us. No question about it. You yeah. know, I think about maybe just kind of rounding the corner here on one other subject that I definitely want to talk to you about. But I think about this idea of, um, you know, making things more accessible can be done correctly or it can be done incorrectly. And I think about mm, right. another subject that we have in common, which is motorcycling, right? Now, you, mm. could, you could make something more accessible in the, in, the, in the area of motorcycling by maybe, you know, having a motorcycle with a smaller cubic displacement or having a lower seat height or doing things like that. That's one Training thing. wheels. Training, right, training wheels. A motorcycle is a little tougher, but yeah. But you could, you, you could have that. Or you could say, no, we're going to monkey with the frame geometry or we're going to, um, you know, rake this thing so far that, you know, it's going to wobble when I get over 45 and then you're just going to, you're not going to have a good time, right? So there's different ways of, mm. of, of accessibility <laughs> that I think about. And right. sometimes what I feel that we're, that we're doing with some things is we're not, we're not offering a different displacement or a different seat height. What we're doing is we're, we're, we're saying, no, this, you know, uh, this, this motorcycle might be better off if it had, you know, two, le- two more wheels or one less wheel or whatever it may be. And maybe those little things in the spokes that make it sound like a louder engine. There you little, go. Those little, you put, you put a deck of cards there and. Well, you ride a Ducati, don't you? A Triumph. Or you got to recently. I, I, I definitely Am did because, well, I, um, I've ridden Ducatis a number of times. Um, but no, my bike, my, my like day, day-to-day bike is a Triumph Speedmaster. But I've ridden all kinds of oh, bikes. Okay. I had, you know, Multistrada, Monsters, uh, you know, Royal Enfields. I have a British kind of thing going. But, um, but I grew up on Harleys. That was my first sort of street experience for real. Um, and so I've, I've got a great affinity for, you know, for the American motorcycle brand. And I also think that there's, it's a huge spiritual unlock. At least it has been for me. You touched on it a little bit earlier, but for me, it was, I, I don't know if, how it was for you. For me, I fell in love with motorcycles when I was like nine years old. And we went to um, visit my family in Colombia. My family's Colombian. And we, were, we used to spend the summers down there. And one of the kids around the block had a little Honda 50cc, one of these little like, you know, pit bikes. Right, exactly. The Beach Boys song. Oh my gosh, Bear. And I saw that thing and it was candy apple red. It had a blue seat, looked Mm -hmm. like a, looked like a lightsaber. Yeah, candy apple red, yeah. Oh my God. And it was, and I got on this thing and I wrote on the back. It was freedom. It was freedom. freedom, didn't you? It was freedom. And it was this ability, not just freedom, but also freedom and exploration and the ability to have different experiences and to do them with some sense of personal agency and autonomy. I mean, it was it was a little bit about that, you know, that looking at the Mavericks wave kind of thing. Right? It was like, whoa, there's so much out there. Um, yes. But, you know, but since that moment, I mean, I was just hooked. And over the course of time, I think I learned meditation and even prayer first on a motorcycle. Yes, yes, yes. I stepped on your words, but yes, on a motorcycle. Bikers, cowboys, uh, surfers, solitude. When you're out in the lineup, especially on a big day, you don't talk to anybody. You know, they think there's a chattering going on out there, but it's, you're pretty much in your element looking at the next wave. When you're on a motorcycle, you better have your attention on the road. But how many bikers, do you know, pray the rosary while they're riding? Mm. All, all my friends do. Mm. It's a great 
it's a great play to go, it's it's a way of going out and getting oxygen. That's what I call it. My brother Sunny and I, wind. my brother and I, really recently, um, he he gets a little bit of AK from the monastery every now and then. So we took a ride. We rented a couple of. Um, uh, there were Yamaha Tenere's or 1200s, the kind of dual sport, you know, adventure bikes. And we went for a ride and we had the Cena headsets on, which we'd never, ri- yeah. we'd never ridden with the Cena. I on. tried those. I, they didn't work for me. I was an earlier generation of them probably. Well, the reason I liked it was because precisely we could, we did what you just said, which is, you know, we were, we're riding on the PCH and then all of a sudden my brother started praying a Hail Mary and we broke into a, a decade of the mystery Praise and we're God. praying together and like, you know, we're splitting lanes, praying the rosary. And it was just this out of body experience. It's so cool. People, you know, and I think that's, that goes back to our ministry, uh, our apostolate to, to men. Yeah. You know, you can, people get this idea that being a, a, a Catholic is to be some sort of uh, genderless male that's the nice guy. I'll have people, I've had people come up from time to time and introduce me. Hey, this is Bear Wozniak. He's that really nice guy I told you about. And I go, no, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, I, I hope to be a good man, but I wouldn't call myself nice. Mm. I mean, that makes me want to throw up. I, I want to be a good, a nice guy doesn't stand for anything. Yeah. I think nice you know? is in, is in the Bible precisely zero times. <laughs> I may be, I may be off by that. It might be less than zero, but uh, yeah, no, I totally get it. And there's actually some, some uh, etymological, etymological uh, background to that go. word nice, right? So there's like the word. That's what, that's what Tolkien was, an etymologist. An etymologist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there, I, yeah. I forget exactly how it works, but it comes from something that kind of means like fool. Or, or, you know, kind of, oh. kind of like, oh, uh, really? yeah, it may, and if it's not full, I'll look it up and I'll, I'll probably put the right well, thing you know, in the show notes, but it does, it's not said, flattering, whatever it is. Yeah. It's Ned Flanders on Simpsons. There you go. You know, you know, that's what Tolkien said. He said, every word has its history. And so you change the, the meaning of that word and you've, you've rejected thousands of years of the etymology mm. of, that, of that word. But I think that's right. Men, uh, we need to make, uh, we need to make the, 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 the avenue to Jesus more approachable. And that's why I love nights on bikes. They're out there, you know, they're out riding and they're drinking, they're at a bar having a drink, but they're not getting drunk. Yeah. I mean, you know, Jeff Cavins, when he rides, he's got these gnarly 10 guys that he rides with. They'll go 800 miles, a thousand miles in a day and then go preach someplace. But in the meantime, wherever they stop, ministry happens. You know, I, I, if you have a bike, people say, what kind of bike is that? And the next thing you know, you're, you're talking, if you want to know a, a biker's life, he'll tell you, well, let's see. Oh, I had that, uh, I got married back when I was dry, when I was riding that, uh, you know, Ducati or whatever. I yeah, mean, they, exactly. The whole life history is based on what bike they were riding. Right. And so it opens up the doors for conversation. And maybe as we're kind of getting to a close here, because I got to get rolling, but is, is Jeff Caven says, he starts his day every morning by saying, Lord, just use me. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if we just start our day that way and do your life, do the things that, that you love, bring your children along with you, teach them, but then be open to having Ask people questions. Everybody is Rocky Balboa. Even the little old lady praying the rosary that you get there, that's there when you get there before, that's there before you are at mass. She's got stories to tell you. Everybody's facing adversity and we all need a little bit of encouragement and just open doors and ask questions. You'll find incredible people and then share with them the good news. Amen, brother. And, and I think as it, soon as you can ask if you can pray for him. And we're all part of that rich tapestry of salvation history, right? Each one of us has to do that part, but we got to like really want it. We got to have a hunger for it. We got to ask God for it. We got to seek him in it to better understand what that mission is. And ultimately it's about doing his will. And I think you nailed it. And um, man, what a great privilege 
it is to visit with you for a little bit. Next time we got to do it in person, either in LA or I would, I would prefer actually Hawaii. So we might have to do it in Waikiki. Yeah, come out to Hawaii. That's what, that's Say what we'll do. Say something really cool in Spanish though, before you go. I like, <laughs> I love that language. Say something uh, really beautiful. So, um, tú eres una persona supremamente interesante con muchos diferentes aspectos y características que, que creo que pueden ayudar a las personas llegar más allá en su jornada espiritual. How's that? He said a lot of uh, essence of what you said. <laughs> well, I, ba I basically said that I think that, you know, this, this has been a great visit. You're a super interesting person with a lot of different characteristics and, and aspects that I think can help people find their own journey to God in a better way. That's what I said. And you are too. I got to get you on my show. Thanks, brother. You know, we I'm say, on. we say, we shout wherever we go when I give a conference or when I'm with the men and we're, we're taking a break, yeah. we're, we're, we're done with our journey. We, we, we yell Viva Cristo Rey. Ah, man, that's right. Big, big. Well, you, you know, know the, when the you're, when you're going to do the next long ride home, cause I know you got your show, we're going to put all this stuff in the show notes too. But when you, when uh, you do your next uh, long ride home, if you go through Mexico or Baja or anything like that, hit me up. Cause I'm there. What I want to do is I want to ride with you. That's what I want to do and have a cigar. You know what I, I, you know you know I want to do? You know what I want to do with you is I want to go, because you have, you know, all these exotic bikes. I, I was thinking someday I, I want to ride the, the, the wild, uh, the live wire way in, 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 oh, in the way, the, the Santiago de Compostela. Is that, no, no, no. Oh. Um, in Ireland, in Ireland, oh, the no. wild Atlantic way. I don't know it's, that It's one. on the West coast of Ireland. Oh, I mean, you don't see any, all you see, there's a bunch of people from, from Belgium and Germany I'm riding down. BMWs, but I just thought that'd be fun to do something like, or, or do the ride, um, uh, the, to the, to the footsteps of the, of the apostles in Italy, mm. you know, and, and, and of course I'd like to do the, the, whatever you call that, the San Juan de Compostela, that'd be cool. Yeah. Too. That'd be cool too. It'd be tough but to I, do on a bike, but, unless it was an adventure one or a pit bike, small bike. Yeah. You'd have to ride, you'd have to do it the easy way. Cruise along. And I used to, I used to always, um, surf contest there in Bay Ritz. And then we'd go over the, go over the Pyrenees down into the Pamplona and run with the bulls. Cause it was at the same time as the contest. Every you know, year. what would be yeah. a really cool ride would be Portugal. That would be a really. I've great never ride. been to Portugal. Oh, dude, you got to go. Been to no, you got to go for sure. It's like the best. It's the best part of Europe, as far as I'm concerned. It, Can it, you almost speak Portuguese? Is it yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I literally. It's so funny that you say that last point because I know you got to run. But um, I when I went to Portugal the last time, this old lady walks. This is outside of Fatima, and this old lady walks up to me, and she just starts rattling off in Portuguese. And 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 I turn to her and I say, "No falo português," right? I, I, and, and she was. So I literally said almost perfectly that I don't speak Portuguese in Portuguese. And she looked at me so confused because like, it's like somebody coming to you and saying, yeah, bear, sorry, I'm just not understanding what you're saying in English. And you're like, well, that is English what you just, so, so no, yeah. it, it, it translates pretty, pretty well. And I can, I can, I can do all right in Italy and France and other places that I've been, but Portugal man is amazing and amazing riding. Never too. been there, never surfed there. And you know, Grace, the great Nazare now that I, I'll never surf that spot. I, I've, that, I that's with the one with the, the monster I, wave with the lighthouse and whatever. Yeah. 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 yeah the, the, the guy who discovered that, um, I was, I was actually at Chopu when he surfed in, surfed into this huge wave and, uh, Garrett McNamara. Yeah. And he came out, he was probably 200 yards deep inside a barrel, the size you could ride a semi truck through and it closed out on him. And then eventually one of the jet skis disintegrated. You would never even know there was a jet ski there, but his partner went and got him. And then he brought him right by me. His, his right leg was a hamburger from the reef. He had the biggest grin on his face. And then he went on to, to, to literally, he discovered Nazare. Someone sent him a picture. He said, is this a good wave? And they, he and his wife and a couple of people showed up there and they, 
it's made, it's become the biggest, gnarliest big wave spot in the world. So I don't I don't plan on surfing there. I never will, but I'd love to go see. Well, we'll ride. Oh, you should come to Hawaii. We'll surf too. You definitely you got it. Yeah, they got killer windsurfing in Portugal too. There's actually in Cascais. There's like this world renowned windsurfing thing. I'm I'm not super. Uh, well, that's how they got in into Jaws. Was it used to be back in the day only the the the, the windsurfers would surf it because it was so big you couldn't get into it. Yeah. Until we learned how to get tow in by jet ski when it got so big. That's right. And take those fins way out and make them really long. Bear, what a great privilege to have you on the show, my brother. God bless you, your family, all of your ministries. May God bring success to the work of your hands and bring great prosperity to everything that you're doing. And by extension, we offer up all the prayers of our listeners to that regard as well. Super privileged to have you. And we lift up our prayers for all the listeners. The one who really is seeking the Lord and going through the toughest spot. You know, it's kind of like when you're at the end of the yourself that you can find Jesus. That's when you hear him knocking. And so right now, if you feel desperate and you feel like you're at the end of your rope, just uh, just know Jesus is right there with you. Amen. And if you just heard Amen. that, that means it's time to subscribe to this show. And I want you to share this episode with a friend, with somebody that you love, with somebody who you think this show can help kind of draw them a little bit closer to that great adventure, which is longing for Christ mm. and reaching him at home in heaven. Mm. We'll see you again next time on Living the Call. <laughs>